This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Bob and Diane Ward? James Robert Ward, who went by the name Bob, was married to Diane Ward. At the time of the crime, Bob was 61 and Diane was 55. The couple had two daughters, Sarah and Mallory. Both of them were adults at the time of the crime. At one point, the Wards were wealthy. Bob was a real estate developer. Apparently, he owned multiple companies. The couple lived a lavish lifestyle. They had properties in different places. For a while, they lived in Atlanta, Georgia, where they had a horse farm. But then they moved to Orlando, Florida for Bob's business. They purchased a multi-million dollar, 8,800 square foot mansion in the Isleworth neighborhood, a very upscale area in Orlando. The mortgage was almost $17,000 a month. In November 2009, Tiger Woods crashed his Cadillac Escalade into a fire hydrant and a tree in this neighborhood not far from his mansion. Either the accident was his fault or the fire hydrant pulled out in front of him. Diane Ward was not happy living in that neighborhood, but this had nothing to do with rogue fire hydrants. Rather, she missed the horse farm and the friends she had in Atlanta. Bob and Diane started having severe financial problems. Bob had not paid the mortgage for over a year. He filed for bankruptcy. It appears as though he was trying to be creative in how he managed the bankruptcy. He arranged it so that his assets would be split between him and his wife. Only his assets could be targeted by creditors. So in a way, he was protecting all the money that would be transferred to his wife. He was trying to hold on to as much money as he could. It does not appear as though this plan was working. In late September 2009, his wife Diane was scheduled to testify at a deposition. She was going to be asked if Bob had taken any money from his companies for personal use. On the night of September 21, 2009, a few days before this deposition, Bob called 911. He told the dispatcher, quote, I just shot my wife, unquote. Later in the call, he said, she's dead, she's done, I'm sorry. The operator asked if he shot her on purpose or by accident. He said it was an accident. He did not introduce the idea of an accident prior to the dispatcher mentioning it, but he did say it with confidence. There was no hesitation. During the course of the phone call, Bob repeated the I shot my wife statement a total of five times. When the police arrived, they found Diane's body on the floor of the master bedroom on Bob's side of the bed. She had been shot one time in her face with a Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum revolver. The firearm was found in Bob's nightstand. Bob was arrested and taken to the police station. He said he wanted a lawyer, but it appears as though the officers were still engaging him in a bit of conversation. Bob would not stop talking. As he was sitting in the interrogation room, he was talking on a phone. He had trouble getting a hold of his attorney. He called a relative and said that Diane's death was a tragic accident. At times, Bob was joking with the police. He had a casual demeanor. He seemed unconcerned about his wife. 
He was more concerned about his daughters. He changed his accident story. Now he was saying that Diane brought an end to her own life. He was trying to disarm her when the gun discharged. Here's what the police found during the course of their investigation. As I mentioned, Diane's body was found in the master bedroom on the floor. She was on Bob's side of the bed, not far from Bob's nightstand, where the revolver was routinely stored. The police believe that the couple started arguing on the patio. There was a broken wine glass on the patio, and Bob had a wine stain on the back of his shirt. They believe that Bob and Diane walked from the patio to the master bedroom as they continued to fight. At some point, Bob retrieved the 357 Magnum from his nightstand and shot Diane one time in the face. Bob was charged with second-degree murder. Bob Ward had what some people consider an unusually elevated level of family support as he was going through this difficult time. His two daughters and Diane's sister stood by him. They did not believe there was any chance he could have murdered Diane. On September 24, 2011, Bob was convicted of second-degree murder. He would receive 30 years in prison. His conviction was overturned because the prosecutor had made a statement to the jury which made it seem like Bob was guilty because he didn't make remorseful statements. Bob had a right to remain silent, and his silence could not be used against him. Prosecutors are not allowed to weaponize a defendant's silence. Bob was given a new trial. On February 15, 2018, he was convicted of manslaughter with a firearm. The sentencing guidelines ranged from just over 10 years to 30 years. Bob was sentenced to the maximum of 30 years, so he received the same sentence for manslaughter as he did for second-degree murder. He was not given credit for six years spent in prison either, so he had to serve the entire 30 years minus any reduction for good behavior. It is overwhelmingly likely that Bob will die in prison. In addition to the math, like his age versus the sentence, he also has a number of physical health problems. His family continues to support him and to believe in his innocence. Even though it was too late to make a difference in the trial, Bob Ward changed his story again. Now he's saying that he was on the patio drinking martinis. He never had martinis before. He fell asleep. When he woke up, he noticed wine on the back of his shirt. He went to the master bedroom to change his shirt when he sensed Diane was behind him, like when one person can tell another person is near them. He turned to face her and noticed that she was pointing his revolver at him. The two struggled over the weapon. Bob pushed Diane's hands back toward her, so the gun was now upside down and pointed at her face. The gun discharged because Diane's finger pulled the trigger through that process. Bob was just trying to save his own life. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. 
U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Now moving to my analysis. Was Bob Ward guilty of either murder or manslaughter? Let's take a look at the factors both for and against the idea that he was guilty, starting with the inculpatory evidence. Diane was shot one time in the face. There was stippling on her face and on one of her eyes, meaning the gunshot residue actually damaged her body. This was not a contact wound. The gun was about 18 inches from her when it discharged. Bob had blood spatter on his shorts and blood had dripped on his shoes. Clearly, he was close to Diane when the gun discharged, although he never denied this. Bob told the 911 dispatcher that he shot his wife. His story changed two times. Diane was killed just a few days before she was to be deposed, in connection with alleged financial wrongdoings on the part of Bob. People who knew Diane said that she never touched guns and had no experience firing a gun. The firearm that was used was owned by Bob Ward. If I'm not mistaken, it was a Smith & Wesson 340 PD, a five-shot 357 Magnum revolver. The gun is made with a lot of aluminum, so when considering that against the high-powered cartridge, this weapon has a lot of kick. It would typically not be considered a good choice for an inexperienced shooter. It does not have an exposed hammer, which means that it can only be fired double action. So Diane could not have pulled the hammer back and locked it and fired it in single action, which would have resulted in a reduced trigger pull. This was double action. For this gun, that would be a 12-pound trigger pull. It's highly unlikely that if Diane was holding the gun, she would have pulled the trigger accidentally. Bob's story about Diane trying to kill him doesn't really make sense. So she walked up to the master bedroom, grabbed his pistol, left the room, waited for him to enter the master bedroom, and just happened to confront him when he was standing next to the nightstand where the gun was typically stored. This seems to be a little too convenient. Now moving to the exculpatory evidence. Mallory was on the phone with her mother the night Diane was killed. Diane said that she was going to drink wine. A friend of Diane's also talked to her that night and said Diane was drinking wine. Diane had a history of odd and erratic behavior after drinking wine. Diane had one particle of gunshot residue on her hand. Bob did not have any gunshot residue on his hands. However, he could have washed them prior to the police arriving. Diane had a long history of mental health symptoms. There was a possibility that she wanted to harm herself. She had excessive quantities of alcohol in her system when she died, as well as two antidepressants. The level of the antidepressants was much higher than what it should have been if she was taking the dose which was prescribed. On April 10, 2018, an estate sale professional was going through items from the Ward's house in Atlanta. She found a handwritten note which appears to have been written by Diane and intended for her daughters. Here's what was written on the note. Quote, Dear Mallory and Sarah, Please know how much I love you. I don't know what happened for me to end up like this. I want you to have wonderful lives and know that I'll always be watching out for you both. 
Take care of daddy. I love you more than you will ever know. Take care of the dogs. They will need you. Unquote. It appears to be consistent with feelings of depression, but it's worth noting that there was no date on the note, and again, it was found in Atlanta, Georgia. The Wards had lived in Orlando, Florida at the time of Diane's death. The prosecution suggested that Diane may not have been the author of the note. They didn't suggest an alternate author, but I have to wonder, the note did say, take care of the dogs. Dogs have been known to steal treats. What's to stop them from stepping up to forgery? When considering all the evidence, do I think Bob Ward was guilty of murder or manslaughter? I'm convinced he was guilty of second-degree murder beyond a reasonable doubt. I can appreciate, however, how the second jury did feel as though the lesser charge of manslaughter was more appropriate. They may have discounted what Bob said on the phone to the 911 dispatcher, the whole I shot my wife routine that he did. Maybe they thought he was intoxicated or just reacted in an unusual way to all the stress. I think it's tough to escape Bob's confession to the dispatcher. He said he shot his wife. There's really not much of a reason to believe that anything else other than that occurred. Also, the timing with the deposition was quite suspicious. What do I think actually happened on the night of September 21, 2009? This is just a theory, my opinion. Bob and Diane had been arguing about the upcoming deposition. Perhaps Bob was coaching her on how to creatively answer the questions. He was desperately trying to hold on to his lifestyle. He couldn't face a diminished quality of life. The couple started fighting on the patio. Bob stormed into the master bedroom to retrieve his pistol. Diane was intoxicated. She was right behind him, perhaps yelling at him, blaming him for their financial failures, telling him what an awful person he was, kind of normal argument stuff. He pointed the gun at her face. They continued to argue. He decided to pull the trigger. Bob knew the consequences of his actions and figured he would be moving from his big house to the big house. This is why he said that he shot his wife and didn't even bother putting the gun in her hand. Rather, he put it in the nightstand drawer. He really cut off any avenues of defending himself. It's like he wasn't even making an effort to create an alternate theory of the crime. The dispatcher gave him an idea when she asked him if it was an accident. Bob thought to himself, why not go with that? What do I have to lose? As time went on, he developed what he considered to be better explanations and changed his story accordingly. Now moving to the last item, why did Bob's daughters support him? This part of the story is confusing and frustrating to many. It doesn't seem to make sense given the evidence in this case. Here are a few possibilities as to what happened. Item number one, perhaps Diane wasn't too kind to her daughters. They could picture her threatening to kill Bob. They genuinely believed Bob was innocent because they could imagine their mother being guilty. Item number two, Bob was so good to his daughters, he was such a good father, they simply couldn't understand the process involved that formed him into a killer. The analogy I use here is a student looking at a math teacher who's manipulating an equation in algebra. So the teacher is trying to solve for a variable and the student is trying to understand the process. They see the teacher add the same amount to both sides of the equation or divide 
both sides of the equation by the same value, and they start to wonder if those rules really make sense. When the teacher solves for the variable, the student doesn't believe it because they didn't understand the process. They don't have faith in the outcome without understanding what happened to reach the outcome. Maybe that's what happened in this case. His daughter simply didn't understand the process. Therefore, they refused to believe the outcome. Item number three, the daughters lost their mother. They didn't want to lose their father too. They knew he was probably not a threat to them, so they supported him. So really, this is just about trying to mitigate their losses. Item number four, Bob used his history of caring for his daughters to manipulate them. From their perspective, he was a good father. He had a lot of credit built up in that area. Bob simply used that credit to purchase their support. Now moving to my final thoughts. In cases like these, it's easy to think of the killer as an all-around bad person. But the truth is more nuanced. Bob appeared to be a good father, even though ultimately he was not a good husband, mostly because of the murder part. Bob Ward was good and bad at the same time. Sometimes when people only know one side of a person, they cannot resolve that set of circumstances. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.